You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, You could argue that Eric Adame was doing nothing wrong. Or you could argue, and incoming, I am about to argue, that Eric Adame was doing something right. Adame is, or Adame was, a meteorologist at Spectrum News NY1 in New York City over the last four years. He was a weatherman, and he was apparently a pretty good weatherman, nominated for two Emmys for his on-screen weather work. But he got fired last week because Spectrum News NY1 wasn't the only screen he'd been working. In a statement he posted to his Instagram account after losing his job, a statement he posted before the news of his firing broke, a statement designed, he said, to control the narrative, Adame admitted that he had, quote, secretly appeared on an adult website. The statement goes on, On this site, I acted out my compulsive behaviors while at home by performing on camera for other men. It was 100% consensual on both our parts. I wasn't paid for this, but it was absurd of me to think I could keep this private. Needless to say, it didn't stay private. Otherwise, he wouldn't be posting about it to his Instagram account to control the narrative. Someone took screenshots of Adame on this adult website, which so far hasn't been named, And that someone, also unnamed, that asshole, that ingrate, sent those screenshots to Adame's bosses at Spectrum News NY1 and to Adame's mom as well. Whoever this person was, they wanted to fuck Adame over professionally and personally, and it worked, at least professionally. Adame was suspended and then fired. For doing what? Well, for doing what millions of people do every day, for doing what that French-Canadian politician I talked about at the top of last week's show did, for getting online and showing off online and getting off on showing off online. But Adame was doing something else, something more. He was doing what health authorities first urged everyone to do more than two years ago, and what health authorities literally begged gay and bi men to resume doing about three months ago. Fuck around online. Adame describes himself as an openly gay, sex-positive gay man who lives in New York City, a city in the grip of two overlapping health emergencies, the seemingly never-ending COVID pandemic that has affected everyone, and by this stage, nearly infected everyone, and the more recent monkeypox health emergency that is primarily affecting and endangering gay and bi men. The New York City Health Department issued COVID safe sex guidelines more than two years ago, and in them they encouraged absolutely everyone, gay men, straight men, straight women, bi and pan people, furries, gimps, other kin, umbrella stands, everybody, to avoid sex parties, limit your number of sex partners, and, and now I'm quoting from the New York City Health Department's COVID safe sex recommendations, quote, enjoy sex virtually such as video dates, sexting, sexy room parties, or chat rooms, close quote. And when public health officials declared monkeypox a health emergency back in April, which was about a month after I declared it an emergency here on the Lovecast, the Centers for Disease Control urged gay and bi men to wear full body latex and leather coverage to prevent skin-to-skin contact. This would be the first time, to my knowledge, that the federal government 
has acknowledged, much less endorsed leather and latex gimp suits. But more importantly, the CDC also urged gay and bi men, rather than getting together, to enjoy, quote, virtual sex with no in-person contact. And that appears to be what Adame was doing. And the proof that he'd been doing that got him fired. A quick word about monkeypox cases. They are way down all across the United States because gay and bi men have been getting vaccinated, which is not easy. People have had to work hard to find the vaccines, get appointments, or get their asses to pop up clinics. But cases are falling because gay men are getting vaccinated, but also, and mostly I think, because gay men have changed their behaviors, which is why in August, Spectrum News NY1 was able to report that New York City was seeing a steep decline in monkeypox cases. The curve in New York City has been crushed. By August, new cases had fallen by more than 80%. You know, just three months ago, health authorities were worried monkeypox was on its way to becoming endemic in the United States, a risk we were going to have to live with for the rest of our lives forever. Now, according to a report in the New York Times last week, health authorities are optimistic, cautiously optimistic, cautious optimism being the only kind of optimism that health authorities are allowed to admit to feeling. Health authorities cautiously optimistic now that monkeypox can be eliminated in the United States. We need to keep getting vaccines into the arms of gay and bi men, particularly into the arms of black and brown gay and bi men. And we need to get gay and bi men to continue making what are hopefully temporary behavioral changes. Fewer sex partners, more gimp suits, fuck around online. A little less in-person sex, a little more virtual sex. When it comes to virtual sex, the risk for monkeypox and COVID and HIV and STIs and pregnancy, non-existent. But virtual sex remains high risk for one thing, screenshots. And some people, some people are assholes. And someone that Eric Adame interacted with online was that kind of asshole. And that asshole sent those screenshots to Adame's boss and his mom, his mom, why, why his mom, who does that? But they sent those screenshots back in December. So that was post-COVID advice, pre-monkeypox emergency advice. But still, it wasn't until a month after publishing their report back in August about the steep decline in monkeypox cases in New York City, a decline that health officials credit, at least in part, to gay men fucking around online, less in person, more virtual per CDC recommendations. It wasn't until then that Spectrum News NY1 fired Eric Adame for doing what all of us are now being urged to do. Adame is suing. He intends to find out the identity of the person who violated his privacy by taking and sharing those screenshots with his employer and his mom. There's also an online petition you can sign asking Spectrum News NY1 to rehire him. It's at moveon.org. I signed it. You should too. Because someone should lose his job over this and get dragged in public and shamed. But that person ain't Adame. All right, speaking of guys who got dragged last week because of screenshots of their online activities, guys who had their privacy violated, let's talk for just a sec about Adam Levine. First, before I say anything else, let me say cheating on your pregnant wife allegedly is bad. Allegedly cheating, not allegedly pregnant, actually pregnant. 
cheating's alleged. Zero stars would not recommend or excuse that kind of cheating. Talking about naming the baby your wife is currently carrying after your affair partner and talking about that with your affair partner but not your wife, less than zero stars. Definitely would not recommend. That is so bad. That is grounds for divorce bad. But it's not those bad acts of Levine that people are dunking on him for all over the internet. It's his cringe sext messages. I'm sure if you're anywhere near as online as I am, you saw all of the memes, all of the it is truly unreal how fucking hot you are memes. They were everywhere, all over the weekend, all over the internet, all over Instagram, all over Twitter. I would go on about them, but Emma Garland said it better than I ever could in a must-read piece she posted to Refinery29 over the weekend. It confuses me that Adam Levine's flirty messages to model Sumner Stroh are being met with overwhelming criticism, not because he allegedly cheated on his wife while she was pregnant, but because of their subpar erotic quality, Garland writes. What nobody seems willing to accept is that sexting is fucking embarrassing because being horny is fucking embarrassing, Garland goes on. True horniness is an all-consuming feeling, a spell, or rather a curse, that makes you do and say things you ordinarily would not do or say. Sex, man. We all act like fools in pursuit of it. We all look like fools doing it and feel like fools after it. Generations of high school students have read and studied Twelfth Night and Midsummer Night's Dream, but somehow retained nothing. Adam Levine also this weekend kind of got the Me Too treatment, a Me Too framing, Me Too tropes about more women coming forward, more victims, not of sexual harassment or sexual assault, but of cringy DMs on Instagram which are not a crime. And people, there but for the grace of God go you and I. There but for a few screenshots of our sex messages and there but for the kind of worldwide fame that would make people all over the world interested in screenshots of our sex messages and the grace of God go us all. Seeing screenshots of someone's flirty text is like seeing a snapshot of someone's O-face. Removed from the context and flow of a very human experience it just looks ridiculous. Anyway, go read Garland's piece, Let's Face It, Being Horny is Fundamentally Embarrassing at Refinery29, and then ask yourself, if your sexed messages were splashed all over the internet, assuming people cared to read them, wouldn't they be cringe too? And wouldn't you, right now, be cringing yourself? All right, coming up on today's show on the Micro and Magnum Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the Magnum, more Qs, more As, no ads, and YA author Adam Sass is back on the show to talk about his new novel and to give some advice to listeners who want to do right by the YAs, the young adults in their lives. For all that and more, subscribe to the Magnum Lovecast at savage.love. And in this week's Savage Love, I urge a married dad to do a little more dadding and a little less adventuring. And I come to the aid of a 100% straight guy who isn't wondering why these homosexuals keep sucking my cock, like the classic Onion headline put it, but who's wondering why homosexuals aren't sucking his cock. Read this week's Savage Love at savage.love slash savage love right after you finish listening to this week's Savage Lovecast. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace. 
online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by omgyes.com, a website devoted to women's pleasure. Check it out and get a discount when you go to omgyes.com slash savage. Dan, can you please talk about how you met your husband? I'm a 32-year-old, single-ish guy. Not sure I want a husband per se, but would definitely like to have someone more long-term in my life. And... Wondering how you transition from shorter-term relationships to longer-term relationships. Like, do you just kind of decide to be more patient at some point with differences between you and somebody else for the sake of building something together? Or like, I'm kind of past the idea that there's the one, thanks to resources such as this podcast, to realize that nobody's going to be everything to me. So where is the line, though, or rather, how do you know when you meet somebody that's worth sticking it out for? How did I know Terry was the close enough? Not the one. There is no one. There are the 0.67s, the 0.72s. If you are really lucky, 0.79, 0.82. And they become the one because you rounded them up to the one. And you become their one because you're not anyone's the one either, you become the one for them because they rounded your ass up too. How do you know when that's happening? Well, I didn't know. Terry was a rebound relationship for me. I hadn't, you know, I broke up with a guy. We'd been living together for about a year. I didn't leave the house for a few months. Went out, met Terry. He was not what I was looking for. I wanted somebody who was my age or older, I wanted somebody with a real job because I was a sex advice columnist for an alternative weekly newspaper. Uh, I wanted somebody, you know, who had, you know, been to college and I met this guy who'd never been to college, worked in a video store. I also wanted somebody who was kinkier than I was so I wouldn't feel like such a freak. Oh, and I wanted somebody who wasn't into monogamy. And I met a vanilla monogamist who worked in a video store who was seven years younger than I was. And for the first three, six months that we dated. He was at my house all the time. My like weird apartment that just had a mattress on the floor and one bowl and one spoon because all I ate at home was cereal. And he was just there and it was wonderful and it was effortless. And the whole time I was like, yeah, no, this is a summer fling. This isn't a possible LTR. And then, you know, after about a year it had become impossible for me to imagine the next year without him in it. And rather than seeking that LTR, it kind of revealed itself to me. That may happen for you. I'm not saying go out there and find somebody rom-com style who's everything you didn't think you wanted in a man. And then, you know, that, that that's how this works. That Those are the rules. That's the system. no. What you're going to do is you're going to date a guy, meet a guy, hang out with a guy. And I didn't meet Terry till I was 30. You're 32. I didn't meet Terry till I was 30. So it's not too late for you. And, you know, many gay men partner later in life than our heterosexual siblings and peers do. So don't despair that you're 32 and your LTR, your serious LTR has not yet begun. 
you know, just as you're familiar with the one, you're probably familiar with the price of admission. You have to be willing to pay the price of admission to be with someone, many prices of admission to be with someone. And I'm bringing that up because you said, how do you learn to be more patient with differences between you and someone else? And that's where paying the price of admission often comes in. Because if you're ending relationships because you can't stand the fact that this other person is a whole other person and that there are going to, there are differences between you and this other person. Yeah. You're not going to be able to form a long-term relationship because even as, you know, maybe at the beginning, two people try their best they're on their best behavior with each other. They're trying to be chill and accommodating. Eventually your individualities uh, in both cases, both sides begin to assert themselves and those differences that were glossed over or that you didn't even perceive, maybe they are always there at the start, become more pronounced. How do you learn to live with them? Well, sometimes the differences are good. I'm an introvert. Terry's an extrovert. I can sometimes get him to be home, focus on something small and intimate and boring, uh, and that's good for him. And sometimes he pulls me out of my comfort zone. That's good for me. Other differences, I'm kind of neat and Terry's kind of not. How do we learn to live with that? Well, I spend a lot of time picking up after him and that's the price of mission I'm willing to pay because he's worth it. I also don't spend any time or a lot of time yelling at him about it because that just is an engine of conflict in the relationship and I'm happy to move through the house like an octopus with eight arms picking things up and putting things away that have been taken out of drawers or cabinets used briefly and then left out of drawers and cabinets my job to put them away lots of things terry takes care of for me and i am grateful and i think he's grateful that i pick up after him if you and you know your relationship when a difference as stark as that you know one person's a slob and one person's neat emerges if that for you means the relationship must end well then that's a you problem that you need to fix because you're going to be with people where if you want to be with somebody over the long term there's going to be a lot about them that drives you up the wall or that you drive yourself up the wall really because you can decide not to be driven up the wall by that shit which is what i've decided when it comes to the picking up after my husband shit. I'm just not bothered by it anymore. And that was a decision I made not to be bothered by it anymore. You can make those decisions too. And finally, there's no settling down without some settling for, and there will be times in any long-term relationship, you look at the person that you're with and you, you just see the settle. You just see what you didn't get out of this or what drives you crazy about this and you can kind of lose focus on what you are getting that's great we have this propensity as humans to take for granted what's good and working and obsess on what isn't great what isn't working and that is true in relationships too no settling down without some settling for and yeah what you settled for the shit you're eating to be in that relationship that can sometimes be in the forefront of your mind. And then you look across the table and at some point you realize that they're looking at you seeing the settle, what they settled for, what they're not getting or, and can't get and won't get out of you. And 
those are sad, dispiriting moments. And you have to, in the same way you can make up your mind not to be driven up the wall or not to drive yourself up the wall about differences that are annoying, you can make up your mind to shift your focus away from what you settled for to be in this relationship to what you got, what you get being in this relationship. And that, I think, is my key to making that LTR work. Hey, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, West Coast gay guy in the mid-30s calling in because I'm losing one of my best friends in a divorce. Two of my close friends uh, did their seven-year vow renewal a few months ago. They have since started getting a divorce. A few weeks before the party, they almost called it off because they were having issues, but then said they were going to work on their relationship and still do the party. A couple of days after the party, she found out he had been emotionally cheating with someone. Uh, He maintains it was never physical. Obviously, he fucked up big time. She was willing to forgive him and try to work on it. For some reason, they decided that he shouldn't go with her and her family to their vacation. And he went back home to wait for her a couple weeks to think and give each other space. They talked about going to counseling, but then she got back. He asked for a divorce. She was obviously heartbroken and felt super betrayed. Uh, Throughout the weeks of this going on, I was there for both of them, listening to both of their struggles. Obviously, she was sad, and he was also very torn and conflicted. From his side, he said he stopped feeling like himself in the relationship because of the way that she treated him, among other things. I personally have seen how she has talked to him in a condescending and demeaning way, and I know I've had my struggles with her, as amazing as she is. None of that excuses him cheating, but... Since then, she has asked me to not be friends with him. It's him or her. I think it's important to mention that I met them both at the same time, technically him first. I married them both times and have been close with both of them. My connection is stronger with her, but I'm still close with him and have a friendship with him. This ultimatum doesn't sit well with me, especially because she keeps saying he's a sociopath who is doing all these things to hurt her intentionally. I know this not to be true. I was there. I saw him crying and I was there having conversations with him about how conflicted he was and angry at himself that he didn't feel the same way he did before. Like when you cheat, you should feel like you want to do anything to get her back, but he felt like he was too far gone. I don't feel right choosing one or the other. If the roles were reversed, I would never walk away from her. I would continue to be her friend after she did something shitty and hurt another friend. I would be a friend to both and be there to support. She thinks things are black and white. I feel like there are gray areas. Both their experiences are valid. They just conflict with one another. Again, I want to reiterate that just because I see his experience, I do not condone what he did or how he handled the divorce. He hurt her, period. But I don't think he's the terrible sociopath she's making him out to be. If he were, I would obviously not be friends with him. I feel like she's coming from a place of a lot of pain, rightfully so, and wants to get back at him for blowing up her life, but isn't seeing how she might have contributed to the end of the relationship, not the cheating, of course. Dan, how do you feel about giving people ultimatums and asking someone to cut someone else out of their life? I'm trying to do what I would do if the roles were reversed and be a good friend to both of them. I know I wouldn't cut her out. Okay, arguably, this guy did the right thing. This guy did what people are always saying you're supposed to do. He fell out of love with his wife. He met someone else. He never cheated on his wife. He got involved in an emotional affair, an emotional entanglement. And it sounds like he may have needed some emotional support from someone. And I'll get to that in a second. But he didn't have sex with this person. He ended his marriage. 
He asked for a divorce before being with someone else. And isn't that what all kind of sort of knee jerk mainstream monogamous type people are always saying, you know, if you want to sleep with somebody else, do the right thing, get a divorce first. Don't, you know, you leave your partner before you take up, you you end your marriage before you enter a, a new relationship, physically enter, I guess in this case, maybe he emotionally entered into this relationship and that's the betrayal that's being inflated here to sociopathy somehow um seems to me you say that your friend you know, the woman in this relationship treated her husband your other friend badly treated him with contempt demeaned him spoke to him disrespectfully in front of you if that's how she treated her husband in front of mutual friends you got to wonder how she treated him when it was just the two of them. And so I can see why someone in a relationship where they're treated disrespectfully with contempt, where they're demeaned by their partner publicly, and then certainly privately, someone who demeans and disrespects their partner in front of other people doesn't turn into a different person when they're alone with their partner, they usually turn into a much worse version of the person who was treating their partner like shit in front of friends. And he may have, after seven years, needed some affection, needed someone to engage with emotionally who appreciated him and loved him in a way that his own wife was incapable of appreciating him or loving him. I can understand. It's just like someone who's in a long-term sexually exclusive monogamous sexless relationship who keeps getting rejected and however much time and effort they put into trying to work on the relationship to repair it sexually, they keep getting rejected until their sexual self-esteem is just shredded and then we look at somebody like that who then you know, has an affair and most of the world goes, oh, what a terrible person. They had an affair. And if you're privy to the full story, as I often am, you look at that person and you think it's understandable, which is not an answer to your question. Like, what do you do when friends tell you to choose? Well, I think you, unless there was physical abuse, sexual abuse, I, I think he refused to choose. You know, one of my uncles divorced after 20-something years of marriage and a couple of kids, and he told everyone, you know, he told his siblings that they couldn't be friends now with his ex-wife, who had been a member of the family for decades. And all of his sisters looked at him and said, and my mother included, uh, my mother at the lead, and said, yeah, no, fuck that. Grow the fuck up. We're not going to cut your ex-wife, the mother of our nieces and nephews, out of our lives. You're just going to have to learn to live with us still being in contact with your ex-wife. You brought her into the family. Your relationship is now over. She is still part of this family. Again, it wasn't a high conflict marriage. There wasn't, you know, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. There wasn't serial infidelity. It just ended and there was some hard feelings. That's 
remarkably similar to this. This marriage is ending. There are some hard feelings. You knew him first. You love her more. You're closer to her. But what she's asking of you is unfair. And you're not going to do it. You're not going to cut him out of her life. And you're happy to listen to her version of events. Uh, and maybe right now she needs to see him as a monster uh, to protect her own ego as this relationship ends. But as her friend, at some point you're going to have to sit her down and talk to her about who the sociopath might actually be here. I'm not saying your friend, the woman in this conflict is a sociopath, but she's making him 100% responsible, You know, pinning all the blame for the end of this marriage on him and not taking any responsibility for why this relationship that apparently she didn't want to see end ended. And if she can't ever recognize her part in it, if he just has to be a monster so that she can walk away and feel like a hundred percent the victim that sets her next relationship up for failure. At some point she's going to have to smell her own shit and you're her friend and you're there to help her smell her own shit. And, the first step, the first thing you can do that might give her that insight is refusing to end your relationship with him. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. People ask me all the time to point them at ethical, erotic content. And here it is, folks. Dipsy brings scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, you will find stories at Dipsy that work for you. Stories for straight and queer folks in a diverse variety of voices. Dipsy also brings hunks to life. And who doesn't need more hunks in their life? At Dipsy, you'll meet and spend some quality audio time with Ronan, an Irish farmer with strong hands, Gerard, a handsy handyman who's ready to please, Andre, a commanding salsa instructor. The list goes on and on. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite go-to stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And after you've enjoyed the sexy stuff, you can check out the sleep section, which offers soothing sounds to help you drift off fully satisfied. Dipsy is your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. And for listeners of the Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days off, full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. 38 by mail. My last girlfriend was into spanking and we had fun with that. We did it a couple times and, you know, pretty short sessions, not very intense, but it was fun. But my dog got really traumatized by it. And now he keeps trying to hide behind the entertainment center and pacing around and crying. Anytime I start making out with a woman, I'm in a new relationship now with a really hot dom lady. And we want to play with some bondage and impact stuff, but don't know how to get my dog to stop freaking out. I know I can crate him or put him outside, but that's not always ideal. And sometimes he can still cry and whatnot inside the crate and really be distracting. So any suggestions you or the other listeners might have, I would really appreciate. 
I believe you crate train a dog in the same way you crib train a human. You just put them in the crate or put them in the crib and they cry and cry and cry. You come back once in a while to reassure them at longer intervals. And otherwise, you just got to wait it out. You just got to let your dog cry it out, realize that you're not going anywhere, that you'll be back eventually, and that all the whining in the world or all the crying in the world, in the case of a human infant or human toddler, isn't going to get him out of the crate or the crib. So you're just going to have to tough it out. I say all that not being much of a dog person, although I have lived with now three dogs, currently live with two dogs, all of which were crate trained successfully. So if I can do it or I can watch it be done is more like how it went down. I'm sure you and your new Dom girlfriend can do it too. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by omgyes.com, a website devoted to women's sexual pleasure. In partnership with Indiana University and Kinsey Institute researchers, OMG Yes has interviewed and surveyed thousands of women about what's made their pleasure better, physical techniques, the psychological techniques, and ways of guiding their partners so that they can experience pleasure or more pleasure during sex. The findings are peer-reviewed and published. This is science. They are doing data. They're not just winging it. And all of this research and data and science is brought to life in fun, honest videos featuring regular women sharing stories from their own experiences about what works for them and what might work for you. I've watched a bunch of these videos. They're really great. I think they're really valuable. I think they're a tremendous resource, and I think you should check them out. One of the things their research has found is how easy it is for us to blunt or cut off our own explorations when we think things like, I've already got techniques that work for me. I'm good. But finding out what works for other people can help you find new things, bonus things, additional things that work for you. Indiana University School of Medicine researchers actually did a study giving OMG yes to 1,000 women and their partners. 96% realized there's actually more room in their lives for sexual pleasure, more room for growth. OMG yes is not a subscription. Each batch of content is a one-time payment like buying a book that you keep and own forever, and your contribution goes on to fund future pleasure research at IU and the Kinsey Institute. Learn more about the study at omgyes.com and our listeners, our listeners get a discount at omgyes.com slash savage. Do yourself a favor, do us a favor, support the Lovecast by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, non-binary polyamorous person from Southern California here calling in. So I have been polyamorous for a couple years now, and I live with my partner. Him and I were poly going into the relationship. You know, it really is the relationship structure that works for both of us. But I'm having this really bizarre thorn in my side. And I'm hoping that you can help me, Dan, because I know you have a husband and a boyfriend, and Terry also has a boyfriend. So... I am currently like just starting to date around to find a second partner besides my nesting partner. Um, my ex-girlfriend and I broke up and, you know, I'm ready to like kind of get back out there. And my partner, he has a male partner that's kind of like a friends with benefits situation. And then his other partner who is very much like his girlfriend. And 
for some reason, I am finding myself feeling feelings of jealousy only over his female partner. And the the catch is, I adore her. We are really good friends. She talks to me sometimes more than she talks to him. And there is even kind of like a flirtation going between her and I that we are even interested in each other. But it's like, I just cannot shake this feeling and this guilt. It may have something to do with the fact that though they've been together for a year, they are just now starting to become physically intimate because of like trauma and whatever she wanted to wait. And my partner being the wonderful person he is was very patient with that. And I just don't know why it is just really eating at me. And I'm feeling so much guilt and shame. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe you can help me unpack it. I have a theory, non-binary person, Southern California, about what might be going on here. It's a little Occam's razor influenced. Occam's razor is the idea that the simplest of competing theories should be preferred. You know, the obvious answer is usually the correct answer. And it seems to me, and this is pretty binary, this theory that what's going on here as your boyfriend prepares to become intimate with his girlfriend, who's a person that you like and enjoy talking to and spending time with. And obviously your boyfriend has invested a lot in this relationship. He's waited a year uh, until his girlfriend was comfortable becoming intimate. That speaks to a real bond there. And I think that you may find her, his girlfriend that he's about to become intimate with physically a little more threatening than you find his boyfriend for again, and I'm almost afraid to say it kind of, sort of the obvious binary reasons. I'm going to go out on a limb here and based on your voice, I'm going to assume you were assigned female at birth as was your boyfriend's girlfriend. So what she brings to the table is mm, pussy. What you bring to the table are However it is that you prefer to describe your genitals, I don't want to assign gender to your genitals and offend you in any way. But yeah, that seems to me what may be undergirding this. You may have, at least when it comes to your own gender identity, transcended the binary, but some part of your subconscious is tapping into the binary that the girlfriend represents, that I guess, genital end of the binary that you both find yourselves on. You know, you frequently hear from people who open their relationships uh, where both partners are bi, that they're comfortable, more comfortable when their partner seeks outside the relationship, you know, if it's a guy, you know, outside of an opposite sex relationship, he's sleeping with men outside of the relationship. Or if it's a woman in an opposite sex relationship who's bi and it's open, she's sleeping with other women. And the guy that she's with is sometimes more threatened, feels more at risk of being replaced if she is sleeping with other guys. For a lot of people in open relationships, bi people like both uh, you and your boyfriend or pan like you and your boyfriend. I don't know how you identify on that front. It can be a little scarier. You know, people aren't their genitals. We understand that. But on some level, we worry that something that makes us unique to our partner becomes less unique if they're able to get exactly that 
elsewhere. Not that we believe ourselves to be just our genitals either, but on some level, it is a bit more threatening, which is why in a lot of open relationships where everybody's by hall pass initially, you know, is for same sex partners. If you're with an opposite sex partner in the nesting relationship, because people are just a little less threatened when their partner's getting what they don't get at home out of their other non-nesting or secondary or tertiary partners. Seems to me that that's what's going on here with you. Seems to me that with a little thought and some conscious effort, you, non-binary you, should be able to get past that. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace. I recommend therapy all the time on this show, and Talkspace offers an easy, convenient way to start taking care of your mental health. When it comes to therapy and psychiatry, getting the help you need has never been so simple. When you're able to access your provider from the comfort of your device, it means mental health care can be on your schedule. And alleviating the wait times to get an appointment or the travel time to get to an office can free up more time for the rest of your life. Talkspace is so convenient and accessible, it helps you feel supported around the clock. Talkspace lets you send messages to your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform, which allows you to update them on the challenges and triumphs you're facing in real time, so you don't have to wait for your next session. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist, and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, give you tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food, eating, and so much more. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the Lovecast. That's savageandtalkspace.com. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the at-risk youth. I am a 43-year-old cisgendered woman on the West Coast, a Magnum subscriber. I'm a single mother of two, and I am divorced. I got in my first relationship after the divorce with a man that was six years younger than me. And after we've been dating 11 months, he has dumped me because he wants to father his own children he does not have any kids and he doesn't want me to endure a high-risk pregnancy on his behalf also because he doesn't think i can engage with his elite ivy league friends while we were together he encouraged me to explore my kinks turns out i have a lot of them he was the dom to my sub i trusted him so much and we explored and played beyond my wildest dreams it's been a week since the split and i'm still devastated he asked if we could still hang out and see each other, and I told him I wasn't sure that I needed to figure out how to be around him without loving all up on him. Now I'm wondering if it's okay to reach out to him to see if we can continue with our DS dynamics, or if it would just fuck with my mind too much. I live in a small rural town and have no idea if there's a local kink scene. The closest city is two hours away, and I've never online dated, and I'm, I'm pretty apprehensive to it. Fuck that guy. Don't hang out with that guy. Don't see that guy ever again. Why would you give that guy the time of day? Uh, not because he, you know, cranked you up about DS dynamics and encouraged you to explore your kinks. And not because 
he wants to have his own biological children in some future relationship and doesn't feel it's fair to ask you to endure a potentially high-risk pregnancy, although it seems to me that that's a decision that you could make and not a decision that he should make on your behalf. The thing that really sticks in my craw about this guy and makes me loathe him is this doesn't want you hanging out with his elite Ivy League friends? What the fuck is that? What kind of nagging, undermining bullshit is that? That made me so furious on your behalf. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. All I can think right now is fuck this guy. And by fuck this guy, of course, I mean don't fuck this guy. As John McWhorter unpacks in his terrific book about uh, dirty words, fuck means so many things. You can say fuck that guy and it means, yeah, go fuck that guy. But usually when we say fuck that guy, it means don't fuck that guy. Don't fuck that guy. And don't underestimate your marketability on in the kink scene even if you're in a small town there are a lot of guys out there who are into bdsm there are way more kinky guys than there are women who are kinky or know they're kinky or grown into their kinks or realize they're kinky or feel empowered to explore their kinks so you getting out there if you can get comfortable on kink dating apps on field or Fat life, although asterisks next to fat life, a lot of people have issues with some of the shit that goes on at fat life. You'll have your pick of the men. And if there's a big city two hours away and you advertise in that city and you're able to get away for weekends, if you have help with childcare, if you have parents who can take your kids off your hands and you can drive to that city two hours, ain't that long a drive. Listen to some podcasts on the way and go to some munches and get involved in that kink scene there, you'll meet some better people to explore and play with. People who may be interested in you, you know, the submissive dynamics that you want to explore, who may be interested in being the dom in that exploration with you, but then aren't going to pivot and make you feel worthless, really kind of, dominate you in a creepy way that where you are made to feel insecure and, and, and unvalued and where that, you know, this person, this motherfucker, I don't think you should see again. What he's doing is communicating to you that you are not less than during a discreet BDSM pre-negotiated scene that has a beginning, a middle and an end, but less than all the time. Someone he's embarrassed to be seen with, someone he's embarrassed to introduce to his fancy fucking elite Ivy League friends. Yeah, no, I I know a whole bunch of people at this stage of my life. I went to a state school. I know a lot of people who went to Ivy League schools. And this attitude that, oh, I went to an Ivy League school. I am fancy and elite. I can't hang out with you. It isn't the majority position, believe attitude of people that I've gotten to know who went to Ivy League schools. Maybe that's how Jared Kushner feels who bought his way or his way was bought by his daddy into Harvard. But I've known a few people who went to Harvard who were perfectly delightful human beings who were curious about the world and totally willing to hang out with and shoot the shit with people who went to state schools, went to community colleges, didn't go to college, didn't graduate from high school, 
yeah, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really probably overreacting to this at this point. Fuck this guy. He's not the only dumb out there. There's probably other guys in your town who would be interested in meeting a hot, smart, friendly, kinky woman who wanted to date and explore, who aren't interested in having kids of their own and aren't assholes. That's what this guy, he is just an asshole and you shouldn't waste one more minute thinking about him. You've got to break out of this scarcity mindset. Right now what you're telling yourself is it's him or no one, that he's the only guy that you can be yourself with sexually. He's your only option. It's not true. And if that means getting on Field or FetLife for you to realize that, please get on Field or FetLife. You don't have to show your face on either of those websites or getting in your car if mom and dad take the kids for a weekend and driving to a bunch and meeting some other people in a bigger city that has a more active kink scene than the city where you live. Please fucking do it. You owe it to yourself. All right. Before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Brad Romance tweets, listening to Fake Dan Savage and this week's Savage Lovecast saying, go get vaccinated against monkeypox. I wish I could. The Irish government's response here has been worse than woeful. Absolutely negligent. 450,000 people vaccinated in the States, 600 in Ireland. All right. First, before I say another word, I am notoriously bad at math, but I did a little bit of math here. Ireland's population, 5.1 million. U.S. population, 330 million. If 600 people are vaccinated in Ireland, that's 0.001% of the population. 450,000 people vaccinated in the U.S., that's 0.001% of the population. So 10 times as many people as a percentage of the population vaccinated in the United States, but there have only been 178 cases of monkeypox in Ireland, 25,000 in the United States. So 10 times as many people per capita vaccinated in the U.S., but we have more than 140 times the number of cases. So on some measures, Ireland could be doing better than the U.S., but on other measures, Ireland doing better than the U.S. Scott Pifo tweets on the Savage Lovecast bingo card, the center square is always point of orgasmic inevitability. I do love that very useful expression. I am now, though, curious what's on the other 24 squares of the Savage Lovecast bingo card. And hey, if there were just 25 words or phrases on my bingo cards, everyone's bingo card would be identical. And then everyone playing Savage Lovecast bingo would get bingo at the exact same time. So there are much more than just 25 words and phrases on the Savage Lovecast bingo cards out there. What's on them? Call us or tweet at us and let us know. Finally, RJ Rushmore tweets, I think the dominant guy in this week's Savage Lovecast was looking for a way to get his submissive partner to play with his ass while maintaining the DS dynamic, not the other way around. Huh. I just re-listened to that caller's question and you are right. Straight dom dude wants his ass played with. He didn't say that clearly like a lot of people want their ass played with. He didn't ask directly but here now, a little updated advice for the caller in the DS relationship who wants his ass played with, but doesn't want to upend that established DS dynamic. There are set it and forget it ass toys out there, plugs and beads that you can put in yourself and then jump into the DS play with your partner. And maybe try introducing your partner to the seemingly paradoxical concepts of dom bottoms 
and subtops. They're out there. That's a reference to anal play. Easier to find dom bottoms and subtops in gay porn than straight porn, but the role models you seek can be found. All right. If you want to hear your tweet come out of my mouth, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted to social media this week about the show. Nothing does a better job of spreading the word about the Lovecast than your tweets and posts and snaps and TikToks and everything else. We appreciate it. And now, listener response calls. Hello, I'm calling in response to the 18-year-old in episode 830 who was wondering about how to get more pleasure out of orgasms and sex with her boyfriend. Um, One thing that I wish I knew when I was 18 and just starting to get sexually active is that you don't have to wait to use a toy until your boyfriend has already came. My current partner and I, he will use a toy on me and get me to come once or even multiple times before he starts engaging in PIV sex with me. And I've found that the sex itself is a lot more enjoyable after that. Hope this helps. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is a response call to last week's intro. As a chess player and Magnum subscriber in Quebec, last week's intro was basically a dream come true. Uh, Dan, I think you were rightly critical of journalists for failing to consult anal bead users before publishing their chess stories, but I wonder if you shouldn't have consulted a chess player before recording your intro, because you seem to think that a cheater would need to have every move spelled out for them in some sort of anal bead buzzer Morse code. But for a world-class player, they don't need every move spelled out for them. A simple buzz to signal something like your opponent just made a mistake would be enough to give them a significant advantage. As for the beads being too noisy, maybe we need an Ojoy sex toy segment on how silent they can go. Hello, Dan. This is a response call for the gentleman who's living in a small blue patch of a red state and having monthly sex parties canceled because of monkeypox. I think it's a good idea to cancel those parties, but how about retooling the situation since you seem to have built quite a good community there of 50 or so people? How about for the time being making the party a potluck or something social, not sexual, as a means of keeping your community in touch with each other, spending some good time with each other until the time arrives when you can resume those uh, sex parties. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The Hump 2022 tour wraps up in Los Angeles at Dynasty Typewriter this weekend, Tuesday and Wednesday, at the historic Hayworth Theater. But as the reign of one hump ends, so another begins. Hump 2022 is dead. Long live Hump 2023. Submissions are now open for Hump 2023. And if you get your five minute or less dirty little movie into our film festival, you will get a cut of every ticket sold. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets, streaming links, and all the info you need on submitting your film. 
Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Adam Sass on Twitter at TheAdamSass. And you can find, follow, and torment the tech-savvy at-risk youth on Twitter at LoveCast, T-S-A-R-Y. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you so much, as always, for downloading.